0: Hello and thanks for tuning in to Plug In with PowerSports Finance, a monthly podcast that talks with industry experts about all the important trends and topics in the PowerSports space. I'm your host, Matt Wood, Associate Editor of PowerSports Finance. Last month, Harley Davidson and Polaris released their fourth quarter earnings, and we're going to be talking all about it. With me today is Jamie Katz, equity analyst at Morningstar Research, to break down the earnings and all the highs and lows. Thanks for joining me today, Jamie. Thanks for having me. No problem. So, you know, in general, uh, what were your thoughts on the earnings from Harley and Polaris? Uh, Polaris, you know, what were the highs? What were the lows?
1: Well, I think Harley was a bit disappointing in our opinion. It seems clear that consumer preference headwinds have persisted for the business uh, throughout the final quarter of 2019. Total motorcycle revenue is down about 10% on 7% shipment declines. And then with industry declines further anticipated for 2020, revenue guidance of about $4.5 billion implies Harley sales will continue to struggle to rise ahead, um, even with new displacement models starting to ship towards the end of the year. For Polaris, we felt a little bit of the opposite. We thought 12% sales growth was impressive considering the late... Sh- stage economic expansion the U.S. is operating in and even taking out half of the gain, which stemmed from the Boat Holdings acquisition. The ORV and snowmobile segment uh, rose about 7 percent in 2019, and the motorcycle segment cranked out about a 7 percent rise in a really tough environment. Uh, in addition, Polaris was able to capture some gross margin expansion in the last quarter of the year despite tariff and foreign exchange headwinds last year.
0: Yeah, for for sure. I would say, like, obviously my my insight isn't as uh, deep into it as as yours, but I would say that, you know, maybe it kind of, for for both of them, it kind of went maybe as expected. But, you know, what were your expectations, you know, heading into Harley's earnings? Did they come out, like, about how you thought it would?
1: actually for Harley heading into the last quarter we thought the firm would deliver above break even motorcycle operating margins and that profitability would then improve going into 2020 given the new product launches slated for the 2020 year and then tariff mitigation efforts the firm had undertaken uh, neither of those issues were really achieved or pointed to so we were a little disappointed our prior sales forecast for 2020 was for 4% growth and for motorcycle margin improvement uh, both are both of which are unlikely really to be under- achieved at this point, and post-earnings, we did temper our 2020 outlook. Uh, for Polaris, the company launched its initial 2020 outlook, which called for 2 to 4% sales growth and EPS of 680 to 705. That was mostly in line with our prior estimate, which called for 3 po- 3.3% sales and 10% EPS increase. So we weren't really moved um, in either direction by the fourth quarter performance or the forward outlook for Polaris.
0: Gotcha. And I mean, uh, looking kind of uh, more at Harley, I mean, they've been having dwindling dwindling, uh, sales for a while now, so that element wasn't too surprising to me, but was there anything else about their earnings that kind of uh, stuck out to you or that you were surprised to see?
1: Yeah, I think the thing that jumped out to us was the motorcycle operating margin because we really did expect it to gain a little bit of expansion over the next few years as the company added volume in new displacement bikes and that it would, in turn, capture some fixed cost leverage. But the company pointed to motorcycle operating margins of 7 to 8% in 2020, so that did catch us a bit off guard. We were hoping uh, some some of that cost leverage would flow through with the new model shipped in the second half, but it seems that those gains might not be coming until 2021.
0: Gotcha. And maybe for uh, anybody listening who kind of like isn't too familiar with the terminology, maybe you could kind of just do like a very like a mini or a granular breakdown of like kind of what what is like the motorcycle operating uh, in common? Why is that something that um, you're kind of like focusing on?
1: Well, I think it tries to assess just the operations of the bike business without the financial services business on it, so is standalone. What would the margin be without the financing arm? Because that sometimes skews the metric a bit. Gotcha.
0: And uh, given was it...
1: that it's not a, a financial services company by <laughs> by trade, right?
0: Yeah, correct. And you know, for uh, uh, Polaris, you know, was there anything that uh, stuck out to you or surprised you uh, for that company?
1: Yeah, for Polaris, I think there were a couple things that surprised us, and mostly it was the expected segment growth for 2020. I think for motorcycles and boats, we thought they would uh, rise at about a low single-digit pace in the year ahead, but Polaris indicated that motorcycle shipment revenue can rise at a low double-digit pace. Sales in boats are forecast as flat, so that was a little bit less promising than we had hoped for. We do still think that motorcycles might struggle to get to that double-digit clip.
0: Yeah, for for sure. Um, and I think, um, looking at kind of uh, Harley again, I think uh, kind of a repeated theme that we kind of keep seeing with their earnings is maybe it doesn't look so great now, but we're taking measures that will pay off in the near future. Uh, you know, obviously they kind of keep bringing up, you know, the more roads to Harley-Davidson plan. I mean, do you kind of feel like they're on the right track? Does it kind of seem like that Obviously, that plan will pay off for a couple of years, but does it seem like they're kind of heading in that right direction?
1: So I think the investments that were made in, in product innovation and product development were really necessary to put the company back onto a growth track. It's not surprising that the investment, both in CapEx and operating expenses to support the growth, would come in advance of the in advance of the company really reaping the benefits from such effort. But now we're at the point where the proof is in the pudding, and it's really about the execution of product launches going forward to determine the success of efforts undertaken.
0: Gotcha. Are there going to be any signs to look for or anything that's going to be indicative that the, you know, the, that more Road's plan and all the investment that they're taking is you know, paying off? When can we kind of expect to see that positive turn?
1: So for Harley, I think what we're looking for is to see that Harley's consistently taking market share in the new segments it's playing in, that it's doing so at reasonable prices, not marking down its bikes to drive volumes, because we really think that could hinder their overall brand perception. So I don't know that we would see that figure in until about 2021. And I think also we'd like to see more riders entering the market every year. In 2019, um, Harley indicated that 527,000 riders joined the brand, but it also indicated that 472,000 left. So there were a net 55,000 net riders in uh, 2019 that came on board.
0: Gotcha. And uh, how do you feel about uh, Polaris headed to 2020? I always kind of like I feel like I have like a little bit of like a weird relationship with Polaris because I feel like people tend to really focus on either like Harley or BRP because like one is like quote unquote struggling. The other one is kind of held as an example of someone who's doing really well. And Polaris I feel like can sometimes fall like kind of in between those two companies.
1: Uh, yeah, from our perspective, from an investment perspective, we think Polaris has the best valuation out of the three companies. So, the company is diversified across a number of categories. It, it it operates in both work and play, and it does trade at a discount to our $105 intrinsic valuation. Conversely, Harley is trading right around our $34 sorry, $33 fair value. Um, and we voice concern regarding the profit profile of some of the upcoming product launches. We think those are going into really price sensitive parts of the global market with heavy competition. And when you look at BRP, the shares have nearly doubled over the last year. They're trading at 52 week highs, and we think they're a little bit pricey for investors despite the company having tremendous white space categories to grow in. But we think that at this point they are priced in for that growth.
0: Gotcha. And for Polaris, uh, you know, they've made a lot of internal moves lately, uh, just as an example, like restructuring its leadership team. You know, What are your thoughts on, uh, they the elected someone to kind of lead up a whole new uh, electric uh, electrification division. Uh, you know, what are your thoughts on those moves?
1: Sure. I think it's clear that electric vehicles are becoming much more of a focus for both consumers and for companies like Harley and Polaris with Livewire and some of the other products out there. This isn't Polaris's first push at electric. They own Gem and they took a stake in bramo uh, and then folded it totally into the victory line before it was shuttered. And it's no secret that battery technology is still really expensive, though. So when you look at what Harley has said in the past, it's stated that it doesn't anticipate electric motorcycles to achieve cost parity with internal combustion engine motorcycles till 2030 or beyond. And for Polaris, we think the electrification division is really set up to be ready to capitalize on opportunities when profitable ones arise, um, but that Polaris really isn't looking to be a first mover if losses are required to attain that position in electric products.
0: Gotcha. Um, And, uh, you know, I talked to a few people about this, and uh, uh, obviously uh, maybe 2020 isn't going to be the year suddenly, oh, electric vehicles, they're going to take off, uh, but a lot of companies seem to be uh, investing in these more. I'm just kind of curious on your uh, insight into it. Do you kind of, when do you kind of foresee in the near future, when are these vehicles going to start to become more prominent, or when's kind of like the year for people to like to really begin to pay attention to them?
1: I... My instinct is that as the battery prices fall, the prices for the products will come down and and be more attractive to a wider set of consumers. So when you look at Livewire, you're looking at a $30,000 price point with a limited range on the battery, and I think that really caps the number of consumers that are interested in the product. If that pricing moves down closer to 20000 or below that, then you start to uh, spread the interest into more consumers on an affordability basis. So I think it will be probably five or six years till we see that price come down meaningfully, until the technology, the battery technology gets a lot better, um, and there's a way to make it in a much more compelling margin profile for bikes um but that it will not be over the next two or three years.
0: Gotcha. And looking at uh 2020 uh obviously we we're, we're one month down we got 11 to go uh you know in your your thoughts what's going to be kind of the bigger challenges for uh Polaris this year?
1: Well for Polaris and Harley both I think their biggest cha- challenge is going to be to figure out how to cater to heavyweight motorcycle segment demand. Both of the companies are looking at massive secular headwinds. Polaris, we think, is at a little bit of an advantage here because Indian sale base is a bit smaller and has been blended with different models like the Scout and FTR bikes, and it has other segments to offset any downshift and lower profit bikes that can drive more volume. For Harley, on the flip side, it has this really significant heavyweight, high margin presence, and the bikes are key products at the business so as Harley shifts to new models the, the lower pro- profit profile of these bikes can make a wider impact on the total margin profile and profit performance of the enterprise so I think the um, real key or real struggle for these businesses is going to f- be to figure out how to grow market share in a declining market.
0: Yeah for for sure and looking beyond uh, even the the disadvantages. Uh, looking at it a little bit more positively, I guess. You know what advantages do Harley and Polaris have for twenty twenty uh, and the near future?
1: Well, Harley and Polaris have traditionally been very innovative, and they have a wide access to a number of different consumer data points that could help them attempt to pivot their products to figure out what the change in consumer demands are It's just whether or not they can do it fast enough. You know, both Harley and Polaris have been agile at right-sizing the businesses over the last decade. Um, the ability to execute well is there for the taking if the product offerings are right. So the advantage really lies within that product innovation arena for both of those companies.
0: Awesome, Jamie. I mean, thanks so much for joining me no today. Problem. You know, I very much appreciate uh, you taking the time and I know that our listeners do too.
1: Thank
0: you. I just want to thank Jamie and Morningstar once again for having that great discussion. I'm Matt Wood. This is Power Sports Finance, and thanks for plugging in.